0: Hey, everyone. Tom here. I want to pop in for a second before we start and tell you about the latest PDF we've posted for you. It is about feedback. If you have ever looked through the episode library, you know how many episodes I've done on feedback, giving feedback, getting feedback, reacting to feedback. Feedback is such a crucial skill. Well, this PDF has our newest thinking about feedback, the PDF is in the tool bin on the Essential Communications website. Please go help yourself. I am back from Bali and a wonderful visit with my daughter. It was fabulous, as you can imagine. I look forward to bringing you a new episode next month, but for now, here is a rebroadcast from 2017, an audience favorite called The Conflict Conversation. It has a ton of tools for you. I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Welcome back to the Look and Sound of Leadership, an ongoing series of executive coaching tips designed to help you be perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. I'm Tom Henschel, your executive coach, and today we're talking about the conflict conversation. Ashley wanted coaching on how to argue. I had told her about a concept I call conflict house. Conflict house is a place where any person with any conflict has to go in order to resolve their conflict. Whether an argument's large or small, whether it goes well or is a disaster, every conflict happens inside Conflict House. Ashley and I had discussed the two ways to enter Conflict House. The one used most often is marked right-wrong. People who enter through right-wrong are anointed with the powerful belief of being right. The second, less frequented door is marked Curiosity, entering here, causes everything that happens inside to become easier. Once inside Conflict House, there are only three rooms. You can visit them in any order. During any given argument, one room might be more important than the others. The next time, a different room might be more important. But they all need to be visited sometime or other. Inside the three rooms... Different conversations take place. The three conversations are what happened, feelings, and identity. People who learn to recognize which room they're in, which conversation they're actually having, navigate Conflict House more effectively than those who don't. Ashley wanted the code for recognizing the rooms. That coaching conversation was last month's executive coaching tip. The episode is called Conflict. Now, she wanted to know what to say when she found herself in each room. I suggested our conversation would be more useful if we used an actual situation from her life. She said, oh my, I've got a humdinger. It's about our kids and their damned phones. She laughed. (laughs) You see, I've already got feelings about it. Ashley told me that she and her husband, Jeremy, were arguing about rules for each kid's phone usage. Ashley had read a lot of articles which had spurred her to want to talk about rules in the first place. This was an important issue to her. Jeremy's argument wasn't with Ashley's reasons, but he felt strongly he didn't want to become an enforcer. He felt her rules would provoke endless battles with little benefit. Now, understanding the basics of the argument, I asked, so when you're arguing about the kids' phones... What does the what happened story sound like? Oh, We're not arguing about what happened anymore. Every time something happens, we know what it is. But I don't, Ashley. Can you give me a for instance? For instance, Michaela, our high school freshman, slept with her phone in her room. That happened. There's no argument about it. The argument is what he and I think about what happened. So you two don't argue about maybe what one or the other of you said about this in the past? Oh. "'She smiled sheepishly. "'Okay, yeah, we do that. "'What does that sound like?' "'She shook her head, amused. "'I'll tell you one that infuriated me. "'We were arguing about what he said he had told Michaela. "'What he was telling me didn't match what he had said before, "'and I called him on it, and he said really sarcastically, "'Well, if that's what you think you heard, then it must be true.' "'Pissed me off. (laughs) "'How come?' He was so condescending. He clearly didn't mean it. He was just poisoning the conversation so we couldn't talk about the issue. Why would he do that, I asked. He knew he was wrong. I held completely still. She noticed my silence, and she stopped to replay what had just happened. Finally, she looked at me and smiled, saying, Right, wrong. I got into proving I was right. I lost being curious. That's why you stopped, isn't it? I nodded. Oh, dang, she said. I jumped to right and wrong a lot. Is there a way I could get better at staying curious? I asked, how are you about holding competing truths? What do you mean, she asked. A competing truth might sound like I'm really angry with you right now and I love you. I asked, does it make sense to you that both can be true? Oh, actually, yeah, I do that with my kids all the time. So what might the competing truth be about what Jeremy was telling you? She thought, then ventured, He's not saying what he said before. That's my truth. And what would be his? That he's not intentionally lying to me? Well, if those were both true, Ashley, how would that be? (laughs) It feels lighter. You did something important there, Ashley. You assumed good intent. He's not trying to lie to me. Assuming good intent will help you stay curious. She took stock. Okay, during the what happened conversation, I should assume good intentions and listen for competing truths. Does that get us to the feelings conversation? Well, if you like, I said. I asked Ashley what she knew about her feelings in relation to this argument. To be honest, Tom, sometimes I worry I'm a little out of control when it comes to my feelings about this. All the research says that these phones are changing everybody's brains. So I need to protect my kids' brains. I mean, that is not something I take lightly. And what are Jeremy's feelings? Oh. He comes from a completely different place. He believes their brains are resilient. He believes a supportive environment with encouraging positive parents is more important to their brain development than anything their phones can do. I said, you sound as if you're fed up with it. Ugh. Uh, yeah. I have feelings about his feelings. Well, that's inevitable, Ashley. How could you not? Well, it doesn't feel like all my feelings are helping the feelings conversation. No, Ashley, that is the feeling conversation. In what way? Naming your feelings can help you understand why you're in Conflict House in the first place. She tried to figure that out herself and then asked for help. I said, pretend I'm you, Ashley. Here's what I might say to my husband. I have really strong feelings about this, Jeremy. I feel strongly about protecting our kids' health. That's important to me, which is why I get angry sometimes when I feel you not siding with me. Okay, she said, that's me, as if I could ever name those feelings like that. But okay, how does that help me understand why I'm in Conflict House? It makes you look at your own upset. You can begin to weigh your feelings. (laughs) Ashley was less than fluent with her feelings. She gave me an exaggerated blank stare. I said, imagine for a minute you and I are trying to pick out furniture. You feel really strongly about how much you hate that armoire. At some point, if we're healthy, we're going to calibrate our feelings. If I don't feel as strongly about the armoire, and if I want to nurture the relationship, well, my choice is pretty clear. I'm going to weigh your feelings as more important than mine and let yours take precedence. She considered that and seemed to like it, and then she said, Can I go back to something? If I said that thing I feel strongly about protecting their brains and I'm angry you won't side with me, what is he supposed to say next? I said, If I'm in conflict house and I hear someone talk about feelings, I can do one of two things. I can use her feelings to jump into the identity room, or I can stay in the feelings room by acknowledging her feelings and encouraging her to tell me more about them. Really? How would I do that? I would say, Tell me more. (laughs) Seriously? That works? Oh, it does. Ashley, it's like a Jedi mind trick. You ask people to tell them more, and they do. It's great. Quietly, she said, I could just ask him about his feelings, couldn't I? You could, I said. I don't think I ever have. She pondered that a moment, and then she said, And if he does tell me about his feelings, what do I say? Tell me more? Yeah, you could. What's most important, talking about feelings, is acknowledgement. Don't debate his feelings. Don't diminish them. Believe that his feelings are what he says they are, even if they seem stupid to you. Assume good intent, she said. Right, I said. What about that second choice you mentioned, using feelings to jump us into the identity room? Ah, okay. So let me ask you about Jeremy. You told me he doesn't want to be an enforcer. He doesn't want to be in a constant battle with the kids. I'm guessing he feels pretty strongly about that, am I right? Oh, yeah, she said. Okay, so what might those feelings tell you about his identity? She knew the answer right off the bat. To him, there is nothing worse than being a controlling parent. He thinks a good parent means pointing out at the horizon and then letting the kid figure out how to get there. Great, I said. So his feelings are connected to whether he sees himself as a good parent. Am I right? Right, she said slowly, seeing the connection. That's his identity. That's what he's fighting for, for being a good dad. That's why we're in Conflict House. I watched her take that in, and then I asked, What about you? What about me? Well, you have strong feelings about... Using the current research to protect your kids' brains, what might those feelings tell you about your own identity? She thought, and then she laughed. Oh, this is harder, and then she said, as if asking a question, that I'm a bad mom if I don't protect my kids. So setting rules to protect your kids makes you a good mom. My guess, yes. So let me play it back to you. Jeremy thinks he's being a good dad when he lets the kids find their own way. You think you're being a good mom when you implement rules for their own good. Sound accurate? Sounds horrible. Why horrible? Well, it's no wonder we can't agree. If he wins, I feel like a bad mom. If I win, he feels like a bad dad. Uh, Ashley, competing truths might let you both win. Oh, damn, she said. I can't shake that right-wrong thing, can I? But I agree with your premise, Ashley. Both of your identities are wrapped up in this argument, and you're right. That's a large part of why you're stuck in Conflict House. So how do we ever get out of here? Well, I don't know the actual resolution you'll reach, Ashley. But if you can follow the steps we just took, they should lead you out. Can you list them for me, she asked. It's just this. Before you ever enter Conflict House, do what we've done here. Do your homework about the three conversations. Number one, what happened. Figure out your what happened story and consider what the other persons might be too. Number two, feelings. Sort out your feelings and think about the other persons too. And number three, identity. Think about how your identity is tied up into the whole thing and do all of that before you have the conversation. She said... It's like a floor plan for Conflict House. I agreed that it was. Later, she reported back to me that having that floor plan eased her way to the look and sound of leadership. Before I get into the commentary about this month's content, a quick word. I'm recording this episode just after our National Day of Thanksgiving here in the United States. And there is so much that I have to be thankful for as it relates to the look and sound of leadership. My voice is the only one you hear, but that does not mean that this is a solo enterprise, not by any means. Five loyal, dedicated souls edit my writing every month. They do this for free just because. They make the material so much better. You thank them, and I thank them so much. They are in no particular order. Graham Burns, Nancy Schanfeld, Tom Mannheim, Mindy Dana and Nancy Brewer. Thank you to you all. And, of course, the podcast is way more than just some audio file that shows up in your feed once a month. It lives on the Essential Communications homepage for a month. It lives in the archive forever. It lives as a PDF. It goes out as an HTML email. And, of course, none of that would happen without the two fellows who manage all of Essential Communications' online presence, Paul Eisen of Eisen Design and George Abolino. You guys really keep it alive. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much to you both. And finally, you, all of you, thank you for being so much fun and being so engaged. Some of you email me amazing stories. They are great to read. Thank you for sharing. Some of you ask for the various PDFs that support the different episodes. I'm always so glad to share those. Thanks for asking. And some of you... Post reviews in iTunes. Thank you to those of you who over the years, hundreds of you from all over the world have posted reviews. Thank you so much. Those reviews are the food of life for an independent show like this. You have no idea how important it is to us. So thank you. And if you haven't done it yet, if you get value from the show, take a minute and let people know. And let me know because there's a terrific PDF I'd like to send you as a way of saying thanks. Four new reviews went up this very month. Thank you to the four of you. Two from the US, T6N Guy and Ang and the Three G's. And in Australia, Katsum64 from Canada, Guy Gendron. Thank you, all four of you. By the way, reading what you wrote, thanks. Really, I'm very grateful. That was terrific. Okay, so that's my thanks. Now, what about the episode? I would like you to take away two big ideas from this month and last month's episodes. Number one, prepare. Instead of just worrying about something, think about the three rooms. Think about those conversations. Don't just try to wing it. Things go so much better when you have done this homework. Number two, words matter. There are good ways and bad ways to say things. Just as there are good ways and bad ways to think about things, right? Like Ashley struggled to get out of her right and wrong thinking. But words matter. In this episode, when Ashley and I were talking about naming feelings, I modeled a feeling statement for Ashley. Feeling statements have become relatively easy for me to do. And I do say relatively easy. But I got to tell you, I worked for years to get even moderately good at them. Do you remember what I modeled This would be Ashley speaking. I said, I have really strong feelings about this, Jeremy. I feel strongly about protecting our kids' health. That's important to me, which is why I get angry sometimes when I feel you not siding with me. That's a feeling statement. It is something you could learn because words matter. And words like those slow everything down and they help everyone. And the great thing about this is you can learn it. Like you can learn a piece of software or you can learn a foreign language. You can learn this stuff. You can certainly learn by listening to this month's episode and last month's episode. And there's a really helpful book that's a great teacher about this stuff called Difficult Conversations. It's easy, friendly, helpful, accessible, written by three leaders at Harvard Negotiation Project, Stone, Patton, and Heen. Difficult Conversations. They nailed it. So those are the two big ideas. Number one, rehearse, because number two, words matter. Here are some other ideas to keep in mind. Assume good intent. When you start making up stories about why someone did what he or she did, assume good intent. It will change things right away. Competing truths. There are always different truths. If you think... Your truth has to be the last one standing. You're in right-wrong thinking. How could both truths be true? How would that change your thinking? And finally, I'm going to repeat something that was in last month's bonus material. Ask yourself, why? Why? Why are you having this conversation really? What do you want? Get clear about the outcome that you want. That will help you. And if what you want are things like respect and fairness, those are identity conversations. Please be aware that in the workplace, your identity is no one else's priority. Those might be very difficult conversations. That's it. How great to talk to all of you about this. Until next time, I'm Tom Henschel.